listening to In the Booth, a politics podcast from the Frederick News Post. My name is Jack Hogan, and I cover county and state politics for the News Post. In the coming days, we'll be publishing interviews with candidates for Frederick County Executive and Frederick County Council to help voters get to know more about some of the local names that will be on their ballots in November. Today's guest is Tony Schmelick, who is a Republican nominee for one of two at-large seats on the Frederick County Council. Schmelick, who is a general contractor, served on the Frederick County Council from 2014 to 2018 and represented Council District 2. Uh, he lost his re-election bid in 2018. The second Republican in the at-large race is County Councilman Phil Dacey, who has represented the county at-large since 2018. Brad Young, the president of the Frederick County Board of Education, and Renee Knapp, an advocate and caregiver for her son with autism, are the Democratic nominees. Tony, welcome to the newsroom and to In the Booth. Great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that, Jack. Uh, start off, why did you decide to run for county council again? So uh, when I looked at the um, what was happening in the county, I uh, started to see really for the last eight years, and actually more than that, you know, we continue to have our taxes being increased. I mean, that was one of the reasons watching our property taxes constantly being increased and you know, what can we do to stop that. Um, in addition to that occurring over the last eight years, our county budget has gone from $525 million to $805 million, nearly a 60% increase in funding. But yet, we've only had an increase in population of about fifteen to 20000 somewhere in that range. And it um, seems to be an awful lot of money that we've been raising in taxes, but I'm wondering what our return on investment has been when we're still not able to pay our teachers, uh, starting teacher salaries equal to counties that are the same size of ours. We're still down at the, the bottom 23 out of 24 counties, including Baltimore City, and we need to correct these problems. So one of the things I've been proposing, the reason I ran was to um, hold the constant yield for at least one year. Uh, review all, have the, give the account, whoever the county executives, give them the opportunity to review all the departments, not necessarily to look for waste, but to see where we can find savings. I mean, those are two different things. I'm not suggesting that we're being wasteful in the county, but the question is, do we need to right the ship? Where are, what are our priorities and how can we save money? You know, one of the things as a former council member from 014 to 18, you know, I noticed that every year we were carrying a fund balance of money that wasn't spent between five and six percent. And like, why? Why does that continually occur? To me, that's not good budgeting if you're constantly doing that. It's one thing to have a, a great year and things are going wonderful. You know, uh, you get a, a bump in revenue from whatever reasons it might be, and then you've got these fund balances. But to happen year over year, over year uh, I think all that needs to be looked at. So financially is the biggest issue, uh, m more funding for our schools, and also to make sure that our that our roads uh, are attended to more than they have been, and also to um, – to continue, I would say even to continue the smart growth policies that we have. And so to follow up on uh, your, your proposal to lower the property tax rate to the constant yield rates would be from like, a, I guess the county's rate for the last eight or so years has been six per hundred of assessed value. It's actually been 12 years that we've had the 12 six. years. Yes. Thank you for correcting me. Yes. Okay. So 12 years of six per hundred dollars of assessed value and... Last year's constant yield was one dollar two per hundred of assessed. Is there anything you'd look to trim from the budget to make up for the property tax revenue well, that the county lost, or, or well, how see, would you look to revenue but, that? But you're not going to be losing revenue, and, and certainly there are certain things that increase a year over year. There are certain things that have to be taken care of, pensions and things like that, uh, health insurance that the county offers, and you know, and. Uh, the employee salaries. I mean, there's constants you can't get away from. So there's no doubt about that. But we're not talking about decreasing the revenue. I mean, that's what needs to be understood. It's going to be year over year equal revenue. 
And what can you do with that? I mean, most households are suffering right now. There's no doubt about that. You know, with inflation, it you know, they're saying eight, eight and a half percent. I mean, the reality is in some uh, industries, such as you know, the building industry, everybody knows pretty much that I'm a builder, remodeler here in the Frederick County and have been doing that for 35 years. You know, we've seen increases of 35, 40, 50 percent, sometimes even more, more so um, than that in building materials and supplies and things. So, uh, you know, the increased cost in gas, you know, insurance for everybody's gone up. And I think the county needs to take a breather and give the citizens of this county the opportunity to save a couple dollars. Sadly, the other day I was in a forum and one of the uh, Democrats that were in this forum made the following comment that the difference in the constant yield on a half a million dollar home from if we had kept the constant rate to the constant yield would have only been $200. Those were her words, only $200. And I thought to myself, you know, $200 can go a long way even still today for a family that's struggling to get by with maybe two to four kids. So to, to have that kind of attitude, I, I think that needs to be corrected too. Because $200 right now, when you go to fill your tank up and it's costing twice as much as it did, you know, two and a half years ago, that, that's a big difference. So it's, that $200 means a lot. And, you know, it's kind of like, can the county survive and cut back a little bit? I, I think absolutely they could. And you touched on uh, growth policies too. It mm-hmm. seems like it's um, it's been an issue that's come up time and time again in the in the council race and in the county executive race as well. What, how do you see the county growing, and what what ways should it be? Where should it be growing? Well, I think we should you know continue to use the livable Frederick Master Plan that's been brought along. A lot of time and effort was put into that. Uh, as a council member, when that came before me, uh, I I was mostly neutral on it. Uh, and I still kind of am neutral on it. I can't say that I'm I'm really happy with the way it could be used. I think as uh, I've used the term um, um, to do piecemeal zoning. And, you know, when I've talked to planning staff, they say, well, no, that, that really doesn't occur. But when you look at these small area plans, what is that if it's not maybe piecemeal zoning? Maybe they're just bigger pieces. And they say, well, because we're using the word area. That being said, uh, it, it is the document we have right now. And it is uh, directing where we should have growth in the county. I think, think to that extent, we need to monopolize that and um, or capitalize on that, I should say, in terms of making sure we're targeting those areas that the community has decided. This isn't something I decide. This is something that the community put a lot of effort into and said, okay, we're going to put our, you know, our, our growth areas into, say, the New Market area or the um, Oakdale region or the Ballinger Creek area or in and around the city, which I think is important because we need to uh, not take any more of our farmland. We need to continue to have the the preservation programs we have to continue to grow them to continue to to preserve more land here in the county so following that that to use the term smart growth is really utilizing the tools we have livable frederick and then when we've identified those areas make sure that we put in the cip the resources that are going to need to help the roads and the schools specifically in those areas and where would and where's the funding going to come from to be able to feed into that capital projects budget well, so just like the CIP and everything, you know, once we designate areas, you know, we go out into the market and we borrow money to get those things going. Obviously, you know, you need to work with builders and developers, and we've done that for many years. And you can see the the fruits of that in in places that have done, quite frankly, correctly. Urbana, the Urbana region is a great area to, to point to to see how, you know, yes, is it growing? Has it grown quickly? 
you know, that that's a debate, you know, because it's taken 30 plus years for that build that to occur. And people think it happens all over. I mean, in, in one night or two or three years, but that, that in fact is not the case. I, I would like to see things some done a little bit different where the county could maybe structure it so that maybe the roads are done a little bit sooner than they have been. And I, being that that's uh, where I live down in that region, I, I know that, you know, 80 Route 80 had a lot of backup in front of the high school, between the high school and the middle school, and they only recently added the final lanes going down through there. And I, I have to wonder if the county couldn't have done something to maybe had those that little bit of road improvement as far as that as large as that project was to have that certain stretch of road wait till the very end to be improved. Uh, maybe there's other ways that we could direct that manpower and get those part of the projects done quicker, so that people don't have that frustration of sitting in traffic. And is the county going to be able to so, uh, say like the county lowered the property tax rate to the constant yield? Um, do you see that affecting some of the funding that would go towards some of these capital projects right. and advancing those from year to year? Well, no. So I'll go back to the fact again that we've we've raised a lot of money and with our property taxes and keeping the keeping the constant rate if, as we currently have. What I'm saying is taking a one year breather. I'm not suggesting this is going to be forever. You know, you can't stop growing. You know what I'm saying? You can't say, okay, we're going to just freeze it all right here. I have never suggested that. And um, I've had to remind people because um, I've been hearing that, you know, the quite candidly, the Democrats have been going after us uh, because the Republicans are saying we're going to freeze property taxes. Well, we're not going to freeze them forever. But if you're going to try to, if they want to try to back us into the hole, say, well, they're just going to do it for one year. Well, that's better than nothing to give everybody the time to to catch their breath. You're not going to have program stops. You're not going to have programs go away. You're not going to hurt the CIP. All that funding is still going to be there. We're just saying, hey, let's just take a break from this constant uh, rise in property taxes. You, I, I would ask you, I mean, can your household budget do this year over year over year after year after at an, basically what I see as an unsustainable rate in an increase in property taxes? When I look at the taxes that folks that are on fixed on incomes are paying, I use my mother as an example. Nearly 10% of her income goes to pay her property taxes now on a fixed income. And it keeps going up. And, you you know, you have stops, you know, with certain, you know, programs that you have uh, that, you know, help help the LGA out a little bit. But still, um, I, I think that's kind of unacceptable. She's just one example, but I am certain that it, it occurs over and over in the county. It's one of the reasons why I've see also suggested that we investigate and I would like to see once folks turn 65 that their property taxes are frozen to help encourage them to stay here. Because as I've said over and over again, when you have someone that stays here in 60, instead of their 65, when they turn 65, instead of selling their house and moving out, typically what happens is a younger family moves in with kids and then burdens our schools more. And what do we lose when that happens? Well, we lose the income of a person who retired. We lose uh, that person now who's not commuting anymore, most likely staying in their house and they're spending money locally, but they're taking less and less of our resources. And why don't we want to help those that retire to stay here and live in Frederick and be able to enjoy the retirement years here? It's a problem we face in the entire state of Maryland, and we've got to fix that somehow. What are some other uh, like legislative priorities that you'd look to bring in a four-year term on the council? Um, so one of the things that that's one of them that I just mentioned. Uh, another one of them would be to, um, I, I would like to legislate, um, and I believe this could be done, that that the Board of Education would absolutely have to um, have starting teacher salaries at or equal to or above uh, the three counties of equal size to ours. 
I think that would be really important because there's no reason as affluent as we are, why we haven't been able to achieve this goal. You know, we have someone else running for the, um, the county council at large here, and that member's been sitting on the Board of Education and made promises for 12 years, and we have yet to achieve parity with our starting teacher salary. So we're not getting the best teachers. We're not retaining the best teachers at the starting levels, and we need to change that. And so that's one of the things I would like to legislate. And where would, and so that would involve, I take it, um, or I guess the question, would that involve increasing funding for the Board of Education to be able to up those teacher salaries, or is that going to involve the Board of Education changing how it's been using the funding that's received from the county? Uh, you know, once again, you know, there's, there, and, and I wouldn't ever, even as a council member, think about trying to micromanage what goes over on the BOE. I, I do believe that they appear to be heavy on administration. Um, I, th I think it's time that we went back to the days where, you know, the principals had more control, that central office wasn't a place where we were just, had all this staff working and what are they producing for us? It's kind of like a, I look at the Department of Education down in DC, there's 4,500 employees in, in, a, in a building down there that we pay. And what are they actually quote unquote doing for the education of our children? What we need are people in boots in the classroom and in our schools, not in an administration building. You know, we need to start pushing back in other ways. We need to encourage the BOE to push back on the state. And you know, what are all the things that are causing them from, from and, and having to have our teachers spend so much time on paperwork when they should be teaching our kids and they should be reaping the benefits and we should be trying our best as a community to reward them. I've always thought our teachers should be some of our highest paid um, employees without a doubt because it's important. But right now, you know, whether it was because of COVID or because of the policies that are being active, whether, you know, we need to be teaching the three R's, if you will. We don't need to be worrying about all the other things that seem to be coming in, and we need to help the BOE to be able to push back on the state at whatever level. The council and the county need to help the BOE to be able to do that. Just to, I always want to make sure I have the right understanding here. Would this involve maintaining the the level of funding for the for the board of education? Oh, like absolutely. I, I, oh, you know, I mean, I you know, I I absolutely believe in maintenance of effort, and if it would, and if it takes that little bit of nudge to get it up more and more. Absolutely. That's where I say that we need to go look at the budget and see where the funding's going. Where can we better allocate funds? As a, my clients expect me to do um, um, one thing often, and that's the value engineer projects. So if a client comes to me and they're doing a, you know, and, and, and I do, I do remodels anywhere, but you know, in a half a million, a million dollar range. And, you know, you try to maximize your dollar. I don't know that we're doing that here in Frederick County. So I do believe there's ways to do that, but we need to be more of an investigative body than the council has done for the last eight years. They sit down and they have the, um, um, the staff come before them and with their wish lists and they, they pour through things. But candidly, in the, I, I recall one instance asking for the line item, itemized, I want to see the whole budget that you're putting forth. And um, this, I, and I, knew, I remember, I remember the bu budget director's name, but I won't say it. And the budget director said, "Well, you know that that's really complicated." Well, I thought wasn't that insulting to all the seven council members? Well, how about us let us just give us all the books, just open them up so we can actually see where every single day. show me the checkbook. That's the bottom line. Show me the checkbook. Don't show me your budget. Show me the checkbook. Show me where you've been spending the money. As a business owner, trust me, I understand it. And and I think. As a matter of fact, anybody that's ever had a checkbook can understand it, not just me. But I think the council members deserve have more deserve to have more information from the executive, whoever it is that's in office next. I'd like to shift now to some uh, 
pieces of policy that the council has been working on in recent weeks. Uh, since July, the council has been holding meetings about the Sugarloaf Treasured Landscape Management Plan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's a plan to preserve Sugarloaf Mountain and the land surrounding it. And it's the first area plan that is part of the Livable Frederick Master Plan, which the county adopted in 2019 to guide development and preservation. If you were a member of the council, would you vote to approve this plan and, and why or why not? Uh, it, at this point in time, I, I, I can unequivocally say I would not vote to vote this plan in the way it was presented to the public. Um, the council is doing exactly what they didn't like the last board of county commissioners did did from 2010 to 2014. They've brought forth not only the Sugarloaf um, plan, the overlay, they've brought forth the text amendments at the same time, and they've brought forth zoning amendments, all three running parallel. So confusing that when testimony is giving, people don't even know what they're actually testifying on. And you can wa- – I've watched the meetings. I've participated in the meetings. And it is just a boondoggle. And I have said this since last um, – I think – actually, I want to say I first heard about this back in January after I heard about some votes on the planning commissions. I hadn't really been paying attention, but there had been workshops I found out. And oddly enough, when I heard about that, I was like, we had how many workshops and who had input at the workshops? Well, let me tell you who had input at the workshops. Uh, Soon to be, thankfully, former county council member Kai Hagan, who has a group called um, Envision Frederick, who he says he has nothing to do with anymore. But I, I think that's a fabrication because I do believe he talks to these folks constantly. He knows what's going on. And here's a gentleman that encouraged people to influence the planning commission. There were other groups um, the Sugarloaf Alliance, I believe it's called, they all seemed to know what was going on, but you know, and they were giving input to the planning commission in workshops. And so was the county staff because Jan Gardner, Jan Gardner, who, by the way, I remind, remind folks, down zoned thousands, tens of thousands of acres as a county commissioner. And that's why she lost the election in 2010 and the, and the Blaine Young board came in because they just did this sweeping change. And so the point I'm trying to make is, there was this, all this information being given, but the owners weren't being notified of the workshops or the planning commission meetings. So, and people have said, oh no, they were sent something. Well, what were they sent? Can you show me copies of it? I've asked, I have friends that live in the district. They said they've never received anything. As a matter of fact, when I, I heard about it, I saw it on a website, on a, I'm sorry, on a Facebook post by the council member I just mentioned. And so I called up my friend who has, a, you know, 100 acres in there and owns four separate properties. And I said, are you aware of what's getting ready to happen, that this could affect the business that you had a special exception on that was granted to you almost 30 years ago? He had no idea. I said, what about your neighbors? What about the neighbors across the street that live right along the Monocacy, the farmers there? They didn't have, they didn't know anything about it either. So the point I've made during this entire time is the process is flawed. I do believe that when you're going to make major zoning changes like this, that the county government at the very start, the very first workshop should send out registered letters to every property owner in that area and explain to them the entire process, workshops, planning commission, then moving to the county council. That's open and transparent. You know what? If we notify the homeowners and they don't show up, then fine, that's on them. But I have... I have said since the beginning, and I heard about this back in January, the process is flawed. It's been unfair to the property owners there, and it needs to just be taken back to the Planning Commission. The other thing I would say is there's been a member of the Frederick County Realtors Association, Tony Chiquia, the current president, has made it very obvious. 
probably gave the best presentation of anybody during these meetings, pointing out that the local, the current zoning ag and resource conservation, with their special exceptions, have done a great job of keeping any building going on in there. You know, we've had things like um, wedding venues turned down in there. They've had commercial gun range that were turned down because the system and the zoning works the way it's planned. My question is, why do they want to have this overlay right now? What are they trying to fix? What's broken? Because we haven't had this massive overdevelopment. There's really not a lot of people that I have, I have known nobody that has any interest in developing that area and who would, because we all recognize it for what it is. But I'll just go back to that the current zoning in ag and, and resource conservation actually has protected that for many years. In addition, I might add, the people it affects the most are the largest landowners. And if you just do the math on, there are two landowners there. And I can, it's been said publicly, but I won't say who the names are at this point. But there are um, two landowners between the two of them control nearly 7,000 acres. That's nearly 40% of the 19,000 acres that Jan Gardner wants to zone in. What right does she have to do that? And I, this is, you, you touched on something that it, you kind of got into my next question there. Um, and it's, it's like essentially lessons learned from the Sugarloaf plan. Uh, the, the county's already begun meeting with community members about the next uh, small area plan or the next regional plan in the Livable Frederick Master mm -hmm. Plan. This is the South Frederick Corridors plan. Just a little bit of background for anyone listening. The, the plan will examine an area south of Frederick along Maryland 355 Urbana Pike and Maryland 85 Bucky's Down Pike. And it's the second most economically significant region of the county to Frederick City. Goals for the plan include reinforcing and creating economic strengths and assets, supporting existing business and industries, and fostering innovation and opportunity. That's from the, the plan documents. How can the county improve its public process for the plan compared to the process it had for the Sugarloaf plan? Well, so I'll just put that right out there. I think in, in those areas, and quite frankly, those are two... While I think the economics of both those areas you just mentioned going south down 355 to 80 is completely different in the makeup than when you're going out 85 towards Buckystown. Uh, you're, and you're looking at probably two legs that wrap around what is the Sugarloaf Mountain region. And so to me, first thing I would say is part of this process should be, I think right off the bat, that should be divided up. I think they're two separate ge geographic areas completely with different communities, different, totally different communities. The urban south of Frederick is totally different than what's west of Frederick. It's less dense. There's no doubt about that. And you go west of Frederick, get into Ballinger Creek in the area where we are sitting in, in your building right now. You've got more light industrial. You've got some general commercial out here. You've got, you actually move out this way towards Jefferson. You've got, um, oh gosh, no, I'm drawing a blank. Heavy industrial, I'm sorry, that still exists out towards um, Adamstown, in between Adamstown and Jefferson. So I think having an understanding of that, then, that that I, my first thought, that, and this, by the way, I kind of have heard this, but I didn't realize it was both directions that you're talking about. My first reaction is that they should separate those two areas. I do not believe that uh, going north and going, or going south and, and going west, that those those are two disparate communities, if you will. And should be looked at differently. But I also would say that I'm glad that the county is going to start looking at these concentrated areas because we do need to capitalize business in and around those places that are already serviced by major road connectors. Because you're looking at not just 85, but most likely 340 and going south, like you said, 355 and 270. And in terms of the public process for, for the plan, um, is there anything that you think that the county should do differently in terms of engaging 
Um, so let's go back to stakeholders. So yeah. last October, last November, you know, like I said, they started this conversation about the sugar loaf plan, but it, it, it was just kind of like, oh, no big deal kind of thing. We're, we're looking at it to the extent that they've turned around and they had this huge down zoning. That's just horrible. I, I mean, that was, and it was, it was obvious from the beginning, that's what their intent was. And then when folks found out about it, they're trying to push it through. I'll be candid. Right now, this is so pure politics that they are trying to push this through so Jan Gardner can notch it off and say, look what I got done. I downzoned 19,000 acres. And, I've, and and here we are in Frederick. I mean, we've already say we, we have preserved and we're, we're on track to beat our goal um, of 100,000 acres saved um, through preservation. We need to continue the policies we have. I, I mean, when you use best practices, things happen and things don't happen overnight. When you look at our local streams and things like that and, and the reforestation that's gone over, that's happened over time, I mean, when I look at the last 50 years that I've lived in this county, when I look at the loss of all the farmland that has gone to not just development, but like farms that have quit dairy farming so that they've, they've instituted um, preservation programs around their creeks and their streams. And these are positive things, actually. Not just that, and I'm not saying it's positive that the dairy farms went away, but when you, when you look at Frederick County, there's very few of them right now. There's none down in the southeastern part of the county where I live right now. None. As a matter of fact, the last one that I know of just shut down two years ago. It was milking 200 and I think 40 head of cattle. Had a great operation and they just got tired and they shut down. That being said, though, when you look at the farmers, they have through state programs and county programs have preserved a lot of the lands around the streams and the runoffs. And they're doing a great job of this. Um, to the extent that you can look at, um, well, I'll back up and I'll, I'll just say that our streams are better protected. They're getting better tree cover. And in time, I think you'll even start to see that our trout streams will come back because of that. Once you get a canopy and you get that protection around your streams, it just doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so shifting again, but this is something that the county count, the current county council voted on. And, and it seems like something that might come up with the next uh, county council last year. Members approved the $20 million purchase of a 26-acre property along Himes Avenue. It was also formerly referred to as like the Oak Street property. Uh, it's on the west side of Frederick. It includes a 209,000-square-foot facility currently used for COVID-19 vaccine clinics. The county purchased the property with intentions of— Is this the state, part, the state farm? Yes. Old, oh. Yep, that's okay. exactly it. Exactly okay. it. The county purchased the property with intentions of accelerating large projects like building new county offices, relocating the 911 call center, and potentially adding a library to the west side of the city. And I want to ask, what, what do you think the property should be used for? So I, I don't have an answer for that one, uh, candidly. Um, I'm, I heard it had happened. My first gut reaction was, why? Um, I, I, I didn't know why we were purchasing this large property, but then when I heard some of the more specifics and some of the better ways that we might be able to allocate resources over there, it very well could be a very big cost savings to the county in the long run. And so it very well may have been a very forward thinking plan. Um, do I think it should stop? No, no, I actually, the little bit I've heard from outside county sources that have indicated to me that it should be, in the end, a very positive uh, for the county. But I also think it's one of those things that maybe we should have more numbers before us. Maybe we should have, you know, you said, like, they might be looking to move the call center over there. Certainly, they've grown out of that facility. I've visited that facility in the past, and it's very, very busy. Uh, the law mall, when it was built, was supposed to be, hey, the 
the, the best thing we had and to have all the agencies there, you know, so maybe by getting the call center out of there, maybe the law mall can continue to expand as the police force continue to expand. So we don't have to spend money there. I'm just completely guessing on that because I don't know the total intent. However, I'll just say that I, I, my gut's telling me that probably was not a bad purchase. But then I also think that as the county moves forward, it should see what it can do about getting rid of properties as it vacates them more quickly than they have in the past. Too often the county will hold on to properties for too long, I think, and then they're maintaining them. And that's just an expense we should be able to unload. Briefly, is there anything else um, that you'd look to accomplish in a four-year term on the council that we haven't touched on? Um, you know, one of the things I decided when I ran this time, I was going to keep it simple, but there are other thing that, and so you've touched on a lot of the things and I've mentioned the things that I would like to accomplish. I'm not trying to make it complicated. Uh, I would say that uh, when I was a council member, I was able to get a couple items changed in the charter uh, when I brought them for to the council. I didn't legislate a lot. I did work across the aisles, as a matter of fact, with Jessica Fitzwater on legislation to help farm breweries and wineries and, and items like that. And um, that being said, the um, I would like to see um, more char- a couple more charter amendments that would uh, hopefully give the council more, I, I don't want to use the word, power would be the wrong word, but the ability to be actually responsive to their communities and to the folks that elect them when it comes to our budget. I believe that the council should be able to move money sideways, in which case those items that I'm talking to you about today, about getting more money to the, to the Board of Education, could be where you look at it and you disagree with what the county executive does. And if you get three other council members to agree with you, you can say, well, let's move some money sideways over here and let's do the funding that we've, that we've said that we want to do in these specific areas. I would never support the council to have any say, though, on the revenue side. I like the fact that that's just kind of where it is. Uh, and, you know, once the, whoever the executive is puts a budget in there, I don't want to see it like, you know, other counties like Montgomery County where the council can get together and have a free-for-all and then keep raising our taxes in that, that general way. I like the idea of, though, being able to not just cut but be able to move funds sideways. Um, and go ahead and, and get another question. <laughs> but to the extent that uh, I, I think as a small business owner, um, I'm, I'm physically responsible. I've, I've shown myself to be a person who can work. Um, across the aisle in the past, and uh, I have the experience, and I have a desire to serve my community. And I, I think I would be uh, one of the best council members that the county's had in a long time. All right, well, Tony, I really appreciate you coming in, uh, coming to our newsroom and joining me in the booth. Well, Jack, I really appreciate you having me over. This has been great fun. Thank you very much. Thank you.